Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, August 6, 2023. Today's message title, What Are You Looking At? A study in Psalm 23. Okay, so if you don't know me, my name is Gunnar Gunnarsson. Welcome to church. Uh, today we're going to be jumping into a, a sort of well-known text of scripture uh, to so many of us. But sometimes I feel uh, that we need to do is we need to dive and probably pause even more than usual on the scripture text that we know by heart, the ones that we've heard all the time, like uh, John 3.16 would be one. There's a lot of meat on those bones if you decide to just stop for a moment and actually look at what the text says. So we're going to be dwelling on a text that is very well known to us. There's some famous rap songs, I think, that... Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Anybody? Yeah. No one, no, everybody more holy than me. Okay. I see how it is. Um, okay. Uh, but I think it would be good for us to step back and say, okay, what God do you have to teach us in this Psalm? So would you stand with me as we read Psalm 23? Title of today's sermon is, what are you looking at? Uh, you could read that very aggressively. Like, what are you looking at? Or simply, what are you looking at? <laughs> uh, here's Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let me start with this. Uh, for those of you who may know me, you may know that I am very passionate about memes on the internet. Um, and I remember I saw a meme once that said uh, that when Icelanders are asked the question, what do you believe in? The most common answer that Icelanders would give is, I believe in myself. And I don't know how reliable that is, um, but I, I could very well see this being the case in our country. And now ever since Mikhail was born, <laughs> ever since Mikhail, our oldest, was born, we decided to implement sort of a bedtime routine in our house that we've stuck with now for 11 years with all of our children, just about every evening in the last 11 years, we have prayed together for the kids before they go to, to bed. And we've sang in Icelandic Psalm 23. Um, so over the years, I've gotten a chance to dwell on this Psalm a lot. And, and one of the things I noticed is that 
the feel of the text can change so much depending on what you emphasize in the text. And the question that I was left with so often after singing this psalm to my kids was this question of Gunnar, what are you looking at? And asking myself what my kids are looking at or who are they looking at? Now, if you look to yourself as the center point of this passage, which if the meme is true, and Icelanders tend to believe in themselves that quite easily uh, manipulated this text by focusing only on yourself in the text, you could read the text something like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in the path of righteousness. There's a lot of me's and my's in there, right? And you could very easily walk away with the idea of, wow, I'm a, I'm a pretty big deal, it seems. Or you could read this passage with the emphasis on God and you could put the emphasis on the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So you can really mess up the meaning of a text or a takeaway from a text, depending on how and what you emphasize in the text when you're reading it. As someone said this way, there's a difference between cat theology and dog theology. Okay. And I feel like I'm about to offend some people in here. So brace yourself. Now cats and dogs experience a, a lot of the same things, right? They see their owners uh, go out and earn a living. They see some of that hard-earned money go into providing them with a place to stay, with food to eat, with toys to play with for their cats and dogs. But there's a huge difference between how cats and dogs think, right? Um, the, the, the dog could say something like this. My, my owner provides for me. He protects me. He grooms me. He works so that I can have a place to stay, a food to eat, and have toys to play with. Man, what a great owner I have. Meanwhile, the cat with his smug smile, right? Christian, you know, <laughs> brace yourself, Christian. I know you like cats. Uh, meanwhile, the cat says, my owner provides for me, protects me, grooms me, works so that I can have a place to stay, food to eat, toys to play with. Of course he would. I am a great cat. And how lucky the owner is to have someone like me in his life. Why would he not do all these things? Now, for all the cat lovers in the room, I'm so sorry. I'll be praying for your healing and I'll be praying for grace upon grace that God would lead you and that any root of bitterness would be ripped out of your heart. Um, but unfortunately, we have to be aware of the lenses that we use to understand the word of God and the world around us. Because you can so easily twist scripture to fit what you want it to mean. Um, and you can give into the temptation to try and make God, <laughs> is there something going on with the translation to us? Sorry, yeah, okay. Um, you can so easily walk into the trap of trying to reverse the creation story, right? To try and make God in your image rather than to say to God, would you make me more like you? But as I saying this to my kids, I would often think to myself, what or who am I looking at? Are you looking at God or yourself as the center point for your existence? 
And in that, I wondered and prayed for the future of my kids, living in a culture where the emphasis is so much on believing in yourself, praying that they would experience the hope and the healing found in not believing in yourself, but rather have hope external to you that is in God, who is stronger, who is wiser, who is better, who is mightier than you are when you have nothing left to give. Now, when I sing this song to my kids, how are my kids hearing the song? Does it revolve around them or does it revolve around God? Because I don't know about you, but when I hear a sentence like, I believe in myself, I want to ask the people, how is that going for you? Like, how is it going to believe in yourself? Because I know for myself, there's been times where I have nothing left. And if I, all, all I had was me, I would look inward and I would be hopeless because I had no hope. I found myself at a place where I am empty. I have nothing to give, nothing to do except to surrender myself and let God grace, embrace me and catch me as I fall. But in verse three, it becomes very clear who is at the center point of this passage for it says, for his name's sake. Why does he do all this? For his own name's sake. Everything that God does, everything that we do, is for God's glory. His goodness and mercy, he gets the praise. If we live for the glory of another, we have missed the mark. And if you didn't know, missing the mark is the very definition of what sin means. That is what sin means in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament is an archery term of missing the mark. So when we live for the glory of ourselves or for the people around us or for anybody else, we've missed the mark for what we are created to do. That is to glorify God. But look at the image in the text. God is the shepherd. And even though the text never explicitly says that, then you can guess who you are, right? Anybody want to guess who you are? Yeah, that's right. The sheep. I think everybody, even the Spanish speakers know what that means. Uh, The sheep. God is our shepherd. We are the sheep. And so you, you ask, why don't we lack anything? Is it because sheep are so good at protecting and providing for themselves? Um, actually, when you start thinking about sheep, it's almost, it's almost comical how dependent they are. <laughs> so you kind of think like, how did you make it all the way here to human history? <laughs> like, how are you even alive? No, lambs, sheep do not lack simply because they have shepherds who protect them, who provide for them. In fact, if you start thinking about the ability for sheep to do anything, it becomes laughable. And then until you start to realize that that's you in this text, <laughs> you are the sheep. They don't have sharp claws. They don't have good teeth to get you. I, I guess they can run into you, right? Uh, but even if they run into you, they're, they're using their head first, which is typically the thing you want to protect the most. So they're ramming you with the most vulnerable part of their head and using that as a weapon. Again, almost just funny to think about. Imagine if you would always use your head to protect yourself. You were under threat and you would just start swinging your head all over. Now, more than that, I don't know if you know this, but sheep are so dependent on their shepherd that if they're not sheared regularly, they will literally grow so much wool around them 
that it will be hard for them to see first because the wall covers their eyes and to even walk. Like that's how dependent they are on someone to take care for them. Like I was, I was checking this out this week and I found this picture of a sheep that got lost <laughs> and no one sheared it for a while. It can't see like the, the, <laughs> the eyes are covered. And even after he took all the wool, he said it was so thick that it took the longest time. Even after he took off the wool of the sheep, it could barely walk because it was so used to kind of walking weird for, for all the wool in his place. So sheep are comically dependent. Like even, you know, imagine if your survival depended on someone cutting your hair. That's how dependent they are on someone to care for them, to provide for them, to protect them. Um, and in our text, we are not the shepherd, but we are the sheep. A reality that should inspire on all, not for ourselves. <laughs> we shouldn't buy into this, this idea of the modern age. The man, if you just believe in yourself, you have everything you need to survive on your own, to do good on your own. No, look at this image and say, that is me. That is me without a shepherd. <laughs> that is me when I don't have God to care for me, to protect me. And the awesome thing in our text it doesn't simply say that God is our shepherd. It gets personal. It says God is my shepherd. Now you may be fully aware of your need and in your need have a shepherd who knows you and your needs personally and he cares for you in a personal way. But before you can celebrate and appreciate the goodness of your shepherd, you must first come to terms with just how dependent you are. So it's really difficult for the proud person to come to the cross who may look down on everybody else because the problem with the cross is at the foot of the cross, we are all the same. Take off the facade, take off whatever you find value in, your property, your clothing, whatever else. And at the foot of the cross, we are all equals. We are sinners in need of a savior. So before you celebrate a good shepherd, you first must come to terms with, this is me without God. I so need him for every area of existence that without him, I would have nothing. Now you might say to me, well, I don't know. I had a life before coming to Christ. And the very thing that gave you life, the very one who gave you life, allows you to have a beating heart and breathing lungs but look at the verse two with me he says and i like this he makes me lie down in green past green pastures he leads me beside still waters and it's not simply the rest that is the gift of god but sometimes he forces us i love the fact that he says he makes me lie down he makes me rest he makes us lie down give us time to breathe, gather our strength to lay in peace and quiet in perfect circumstances when you obviously see your safety and security because you know, man, you live in a world full of dangers. But as long as you see the shepherd there next to you, you can know that you're protected. Now, Philip Keller, I remember Katie, when she was in Iceland last time, she was reading a book by Philip Keller, which is the shepherd's, what is it called? The shepherd's understanding of Psalm 23 or something? Something, something like that. He's, he was a shepherd and he was writing basically his thoughts on Psalm 23, giving his insights as a shepherd. And he said this about sheep. Sheep do not lie down easily. 
and will not unless four conditions are met because they are timid. They will not lie down if they're afraid because they are social animals. They will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. If flies or parasites trouble them, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or hungry, they will not lie down. Rest comes because the shepherd has dealt with fear, uh, friction, lies, and famine. So in the Christian life, we can walk into circumstances knowing each day that he has a plan for us and we do not. That he has a plan to deal with fear, friction, flies, and famine. He provides for us. He leads us. He changes us. He loves us. But how can we fully know peace? Only by seeing the ultimate protection of our shepherds. Now, where do we find the ultimate protection of our shepherd? On the cross. We read Ezekiel 34 at the beginning of this service. And one of the, the rebukes that he has for the shepherds of Israel is that they're like paid servants. They will protect the sheep as long as it benefits them. If there's, not, if there's danger to be had from protecting the sheep or if there's not money to be had from protecting the sheep, they are gone. And God says, no, actually, I'm going to come and I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. Only by seeing the ultimate protection of our shepherd on the cross, that our shepherd eliminates all danger to give us peace. His grace is enough for us. His grace means that it is his work alone that can save us. We can never repay him or earn his love. We can simply as sheep receive the grace of our shepherd as dependent sheep. So many of us are this sheep that we saw earlier. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to appease God to give him back what he gave to us. But realize that sheep that you saw on the screen can never repay the shepherd for what, it do, for what he does for it. Imagine if that sheep that can barely walk because it has not been sheared were to all of a sudden say, now shepherd, thank you for doing such a great job. Now you can rest and I will protect you. It cannot. And yet for so many of us, that's what we think that we should do. So many of us, we strive to try to repay God for what he's done for us when in reality we can never. And then notice this in verse three, David talks about how the Lord leads us. And as I was praying with one sister here today, I don't know about you, but sometimes you find yourself in some very dark circumstances, right? Sometimes you find yourself in very difficult circumstances, very hurting circumstances. Um, and what I love about the Psalm here is that he doesn't shy away from this fact. He says, the Lord leads me. But then if you read on, you read on to verse five, he describes some very difficult circumstances. How can you say the Lord leads me and then go on to talk about the valley of the shadow of death? Why would the Lord lead me through here? And who named this place? <laughs> who named a valley, the valley of the shadow of death? Pick a different name. <laughs> How is it that he can both say the Lord is with me and the Lord leads me. And yet at the same time says, even in the presence of my enemies, as they surround me, you prepare a table before me. One of the things as we would sing this every evening, is I would remember that, man, 
If you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, following Jesus does not come with a promise that life is going to be comfortable. It does not come with a promise that life is going to be pleasurable. The, the, the funny thing, the bad thing about comfort and pleasure, is they're momentary. There's a lot of things that are pleasurable for a moment and then it's gone. But hope and joy of the Lord lasts forever. What he promises is not, hey, this is the most comfortable spot to be in, but rather this is still the best spot to be in, wherever our shepherd is, be it in the valley of the shadow of death or up on the mountaintops. It depends on who is with us. Our safety is not based on fleeting circumstances and contexts, but on what our shepherd has already done to save us from danger on the cross. And some will say yes and amen. Some will say, I will follow Jesus. I will confess him to be my Lord, whatever that means. Lord means that he lords over you. He rules over you. But what they really mean is that I will follow Jesus as long as he's heading in the same direction that I already plan to go in. I will follow Jesus and I will agree with Jesus to an extent that he agrees with all the preconceived notions that I have. But if we trust in the great shepherd, that he is our protector, we knowingly follow Jesus, knowing that he's our protector and provider. And he's our provider when the, the pastures are green. And he's also our protector and provider in the valley of the shadow of death. We're not following in the footsteps of a king who came with power only to judge, but a king who came to serve, who, who cleaned the dirty feet of his disciples. He let others, his own creation, mock him and murder him so that he could lay down his life as a sacrifice for us all to give us eternal life, to die for a debt that he didn't owe, but die for the debt of others. That is the Jesus we follow. And I don't know about you, but none of that seems comfortable or pleasurable. How many of you think, man, I want to wash the feet of people. And even today we have shoes. Sure, our feet may be stinky, but they're not that dirty. You know, they're not muddy. But knowing that, knowing that we said, I'm going to follow this Jesus who lays down his life to die for other people's debts. We remember that this life of ours is the only point in all of eternity where we will have a chance to worship God in the valley. Like, think about this. For most of us, we have five-year plans. We have 10-year plans. We have hopes and dreams of what our future will be. But most of the time, we think about our future in terms of decades. We don't think of our future in terms of thousands of years. And so we will expend so much energy planning and thinking about the next five or 10 or 20 years. And that's how so many people live their life. What am I going to do when I'm 60? What is my retirement going to be like? So on and so forth. And yet, you think about all this time and never think about eternity to come. Like think about a dust particle floating in this room. I'm sure it's here somewhere. You can't see it. But that is your life. 
That is your 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years here on Earth, that dust particle. And then the rest of this room, if it would go on forever, would be eternity. And we expend so much focus and energy finding on how to best live this life of this dust particle, never thinking about eternity to come. This is the only time in all of eternity where you and I will have an opportunity to sing praises to God when life is difficult. To sing praises to God through tears. To sing praises to God through aching bodies breaking down in a broken world. This is the only time in eternal eternity where we can praise God when it hurts. Because one day we will stand before our Savior and the same nail-pierced hands that died for our sins will wipe away our tears. And we must choose here and now, these years, what our echoes will be. What is going to echo in the valley? Will it be our groans or will it be songs of praise? This is the only time in eternity we can worship God in tragedy. If he deserves our praise yesterday, when life was good, if he deserves our praise when, when life was, was so good to us, he also deserves our praise in the valley. Circumstances have changed, but he has not. And he's still with us. Now, as we've sang this song the last 11 years, it's been an incredible reminder for me every evening. Jesus is with us. So we had birthdays. We had celebrated another year that God had given to us or one of our kids. And we would sing this song after that birthday. We would, we would sing this song after having days that were filled with adventures and joy, following nights where everyone was rested and feeling awesome. Man, it was awesome to sing Psalm 23 at the end of the day. And remember, man, thank you, our good shepherd. And then we would sing this song when things were horrible. When Mikhail was throwing up in a bucket, going through chemo, we would sing this song after a day at the hospital, seeing Solomon turn blue and gray because of lack of oxygen, not knowing if he was going to survive or not. And then we would just sing this song. And it was the same song. It was the same truth about who God is. And yet the days were so drastically different. Circumstances had changed sometimes drastically and sometimes only a little, but this truth is always true. Our shepherd is with us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, even when we feel surrounded by our enemies who want to harm us, he is there. And we all yearn for eternity, for, for the life at the water with green pastures where everything is going awesome. Ecclesiastes chapter three says it this way. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. And yet so that he cannot find, wait, that doesn't make sense. Uh, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I like that part there where he says he's put eternity into man's hearts. So whenever you're faced with a broken world, whenever you see a loved one suffering from sickness, whenever you yearn in the valley for the green pastures, that is simply God saying, I know that you long for eternity. I know that you long for a world that is the way it's supposed to be created to be, which is not full of 
brokenness. We all yearn for this eternity in our hearts. But in the meantime, while we're here in this broken world, God not only um, says that trials and tribulations are going to be probable, he just about guarantees that in this life, we're going to have trouble. Like many of you here, some of you are living here today in Iceland because of the trouble of life, because of a broken world. James 1, 2, and I would recommend that you read this context, but I just want to highlight this for our purposes today. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now this verse on its own, this kind of weird, so I would recommend that you read the rest of this chapter. But what does he say there? He doesn't say, count it all joy, my brothers, if you meet trials of various kinds. It's almost a guarantee that you will meet trials of various kinds when you meet trials. We don't get to choose whether we have trials in a broken world or not. What we have is our ability to respond to them. If your faith is based on yourself alone, what you're guaranteed is burnout. You're guaranteed hopelessness. You're guaranteed dread and helplessness. I've been there. You cannot find any joy in trials if you are suffering and all you have is to look inward. But if you like a lamb, which simply rests on the shoulders of your shepherd who is capable, who protects you, who carries you when you have nothing left, then there is no reason to not worship in the valley, even if it's the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I want to remind you, Psalm 23, who's writing Psalm 23? It's King David, right? Most of the Psalms are written by him. And it can easily, when we read scriptures, right? It's easy to forget context. Like the book of Acts, 28 chapters, a lot is happening. And then you look at the context. How long is the time period of those 28 chapters? Oh, roughly 30 years. Changes how you read the text a little bit. <laughs> we read about, for instance, in scripture, about how King David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And what happens next? For months, we don't know fully how long, but we know for at least a year and a half, he was running for his life. Saul, the current king of Israel, even after King David was anointed to be the next king, was trying to kill him. And here is King David, who has been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. He could have easily stopped and said, God, you did this. I didn't ask for this. You came with your prophet here to anoint me. Why am I running around for my life? For months on end. So following God's path is not always the most comfortable place to be in, but it's still the best. It's not because of temporary pleasures or comfortable circumstances, but rather because whatever you face tomorrow, you know who's going to be with you, no matter how circumstances change. And he says in the Psalm, I will fear no evil. Why? because I'm a young, capable man, <laughs> for you are with me. When we sing this, I think of my youngest daughter, Victoria. And there was a period of her life 
where she, I just called her the agent of chaos in our house. If you've been to our house, you know that we just stopped caring about how nice things look. There's just toys everywhere. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait for her to mature and then I'm going to clean up my place. Um, she just goes around to drawers, pull things out, throw them around. Why? I don't know. I don't know what she's thinking. Um, but she would go. But I found a trick. Here's how I stopped my daughter. I wouldn't even have to close the door because she knows how to open a door. I would just turn off the lights until she figured out how to turn on the lights. But, but for a while, it worked. I would just turn off the lights in a room and it didn't, wouldn't have to be that dark. It just, if the lights were off, she would be afraid of that. You could leave the door open. All the drawers were just nice and clean and there weren't toys on the floor. I would just turn off the lights. Well, I remember this one point. Our darkest room is our bathroom because it doesn't have any windows. So I walked into the bathroom, didn't turn on the lights. I was trying to find something. And all of a sudden, Victoria comes in. It's terrified of this room before. But now she runs in there and she's playing around on the floor. And I'm like, what is happening here? Why is she in here? And then, of course, I realized, oh, it's because I'm here. And that was just such a, like, that evening when we were singing the psalm, when we would sing, I will fear no evil for you are with me. This image of Victoria coming into the room that she was terrified of before, was so vividly before my mind. The man, he, she didn't care about the darkness as long as she knew that her protector was there. Someone was caring for her. If something happened, which being afraid of the dark is so interesting. Why is everybody afraid of the dark? Not everybody, but you know what I mean. A lot of people. Um, but she would not be afraid because she knew who was with her. And then, you know, I asked myself this question. What am I looking at? Do I realize who is with me? When I lack strength, when I lack energy, when I lack wisdom, do I know? Or am I running around like Victoria, looking at dark rooms, terrified, not wanting to go where God is leading me to because I've forgotten who is with me? And the same is true of David. God was with him. And this is, I love this. This is not sort of a philosopher with a comfy chair thinking about the next line of the psalm. Hmm. You know, it'd be interesting for a line to put God is with us. But this is a dude with experience. Like he has been in caves running for his life. He has been hungry in the cold, hiding for his life. And yes, it can be cold in Israel. I found out when I decided to go in January. And I was like, oh, it's going to be warm. And I brought t-shirts and then it snowed for the first time in like 10 years in Israel. I'm like, of course, of course, Israel can get cold. And God was with David when the crowds sang songs about his achievements. Think about this. He was in a cave running for his life and God was with him there. And then he was the king of Israel and everybody was singing songs about this guy. And yet God was with him there. And I love this Jerry Bridges quotes, which I've said this all the time. And I sometimes forget who I heard it from. Then I found out this week, it's from Jerry Bridges. He said it like this, our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. And I find this beautiful because King David had gotten to know God personally, not simply in theory, but in practice. He didn't just know of God. He walked in relationship with him. And you see that in, um, in the turn that he takes in the text. So in, in Psalm 23, in verse four, there's a sort of turn. He stops talking about God as in 
He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. And all of a sudden the Psalm transitions into a sort of prayer where he starts talking to God. I will fear no evil for you are with me. And sometimes it's easier, easier for us to think of lofty ideas. It's easier for us to come into a place like this and fill our minds with ideas about God and yet walk out and live lives that still don't know him. They just know about him. To sit in a comfy couch, read deep books about theology, to grow in theoretical understanding. But this prayer, this song reminds us that we are not simply called to talk about God or to know about God, but to talk to God and to know God. And as I look back, some of my best moments of prayer and fellowship with God have been in the valley of the shadow of death. Honestly, when, when things are difficult, when you, you can talk to other people and that's great, or so I've heard that, you know, that's great to talk to other people. But sometimes you lack words to describe like what the pain is that you're feeling, how deep your pain really is. And sometimes the best communicators cannot still express fully everything that's going on in their heart and in their mind. And so at that moment, when you look around and you're facing hardships in life and you realize that not even your closest friends can fully relate to the pain that you feel, at that moment, you realize there's only one. There's only one who knows everything that's going on, who probably understands me, not probably guaranteed, understands you and your pain more than you do. That's God. In the valley, it's weird. When you walk through difficult circumstances, there are two options that you have. To run away from God, which many do. God, why would you allow this to happen? I'm such a faithful servant. Or to run to God. To run to him who understands when no one else fully understands the pain that you're walking with. When we remember that he is really with us, it changes circumstances. We, we find comfort in the staff and the rod of God. There are two different Hebrew words where he says the staff, your staff and your rod comfort me. It's, it's describing the same thing. It's basically a stick. And how I would say it, because <laughs> I don't know anything about shepherds. Your stick, it comforts me. But with that same stick, the shepherd of Israel would use it to, to uh, attack predatory animals that were trying to hurt the sheep. And with that same stick, he would lead the sheep on its way. And the comfort is found in knowing that he protects us and fight for us when we can't. He prepares a feast before us to eat when we are surrounded by enemies and uncontrollable circumstances. You may not have control, but God still has control. And there's a feast on the table for all of us. We can decide if we're going to be eating in a hurry to go back to worrying about our surroundings and the enemies that surround us or our difficulty, or we can enjoy the feast knowing that even though we're surrounded, we're still protected by God in the most harmful circumstances. He is the one who protects us. God is more. God has more for you. 
And the question is, for any of us, will you run to him? Will you let God not only refill your cup, but to the point where it overflows over affecting people around you? It's one of the things that we changed when we started singing this song in Icelandic. For some reason, the Icelandic version of this psalm says, you fill the cup to the brink. It doesn't say overflow, even though every English translation, and it seems to me, not being an expert in Hebrew, that the Hebrew says overflows. That's what he has to offer you. An overflowing cup that will be more than enough for you and yet equip you to be help to those around you. With our shepherd, there is peace. The Hebrew is shalom. There's peace beyond all comparison because the peace of God is not based on worldly wisdom. It's not based on human capabilities or fleeting circumstances. Our shalom, our peace is found in the fact that we are made whole by him who is with us in every circumstance. I know that we all have different stories, but I just want us to understand that if we hold fast to the word of God and to prayer, which is one of the ways that God's protect, God protects us with his staff and his rod and how he leads us is with his word and fellowship with us. And if you give yourself to the power of God, as you confess Jesus as your savior and Lord and ruler and guide for your life, and you give yourself to belong to the people of God, other sheep seeking to follow the shepherd, then that is an amazing preparation to face whatever is coming. God is with you in the valley and on the mountaintops. The weird thing about us as falling human beings is sometimes it's more prevalent for us to forget about God when life is going well. When the bank account looks good, there's no need, the fridge is full, the kids are behaving like angels. That's when it's easy to forget that you're a sheep in need of grace. That's when it's easy to become that sort of sheep that's just full of itself, thinking all of this is because of me. No, no, it's not. You're still a sheep. To give yourself to love Jesus, to give yourself to know Jesus and to make him known, there's no better place to be. If you lack purpose, that is your purpose. To know Jesus, to love Jesus, to give yourself to love like Jesus and to make him known. Make much of Jesus our shepherd because he is with you. He is our hope. He is our comfort. And my challenge to you is this. What are you looking at? Or who are you looking at? When circumstances change, are you looking at yourself? When you're surrounded by enemies, are you looking at the enemies around you? When you're in the valley, are you just mesmerized by this dark valley? Or do you see your shepherd with you? Now, my greatest fear for you is not that you fail in every goal that you've set in this life. Like some of the, the most dangerous things that we can fall into is probably being successful in things that simply don't matter. Being successful at looking at all the wrong things, living for all the wrong things. And then you get to face your judge and you realize you live for the speck of dust floating in this room, never thinking about eternity to come. My hope is that we would spend our life 
succeeding in things that matter when we stand before God. That when we stand before God and if we get asked the question, who did you look at? Who, what did you look at? That it wouldn't just be a life filled with consuming thoughts about career success or financial success or property or romance or entertainment or all the things that we could divert our gaze to, but rather that we could stand before God and say, yes, I've tripped many times. But by your grace, I can stand here knowing that I look to you. Now, I remember as a kid, I got challenged by a friend of mine when it was snowing. <laughs> Turns out it was kind of cheating. It had just snowed, so it was fresh snow everywhere. And he said, let's go. I'm going to challenge you. We're going to bet some money. And whoever can make the straightest line in the snow is going to win the bet. And so. I did whatever, like basically started thinking about every single step that I had. Started walking like this, really carefully, making straight lines in the snow. And I was surprised when I saw my friend just kind of take off. It's like, what is this guy doing now? That's not going to be a straight line at all. Turns out he just found out that if you really want to make a straight line to somewhere, you don't look down on your feet. You look at an object in the distance and you walk towards that object. You don't have to worry about straying off. If simply you have the focus on the end goal, you will make a straight line. And that kind of always stuck with me. Man, if we are focused on the right thing in life, we can have successful lives, not only in the temporary here and now, but from an eternal perspective, because our focus was on Christ. But once our focus is off, it can get so easy to walk off staff. If we take our eyes off God and you replace your focus on God with financial success or yourself or other people or entertainment or romance or whatever it is, your steps can go off course really fast. Not only do we give up our hope and comfort in Jesus, but we give up the comfort and hope that we can give to others on very basis for showing radical love and grace to others. So our focus needs to be on Jesus who paid our debt, who died for our shame, who gave us purpose and saved us from ourselves. And only then can we walk in real hope. Only then can we offer real hope. And only then can we lead others to real hope. After all, would you pay a guide to take you somewhere that he has never been? <laughs> if there was a guy standing by the volcano saying, I will take you to the volcano. And you asked him, have you ever been? Like, no, but I have a Google, Google Maps. <laughs> Why would you pay that person? I think the problem that we may be running into as the modern church is that we're trying to offer out hope that unfortunately we may not have because our gaze has been off of Christ for too long. We are simple beggars telling other beggars where a feast can be found, but first we must enjoy that feast ourselves. So let's go into this week looking to Jesus, pointing others to the feast, and the hope that is found in Jesus. And I simply want to remind you with these verses here. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? Look to Jesus. Look to him. Ask him for the hope that is beyond understanding. And if you're a Christian in here, you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then remember with us what Christ has already done to make you his own. And as you go into this week, continue to look to Jesus. How can I know Jesus? How can I make him known? How can I love Jesus and seek to love like him? And if you're not a Christian in here, if you've not said, Christ, I, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to know you and I want to make you known. I want you to be the leader of my life and I trust in you to be my savior. And if you want to do that today, I would love to talk with you after the service. But let's remember Christ as we sing this song together. Let me pray for us. Father, we praise you and we thank you for your word. Father, as we remember the shepherd that we have and you, as we remember the hope that we have in you, Father, may you make us more like you. Father, as we remember our total dependence on you to move and act in and through us, Father, may we, may we know you more and depend on you for everything that we need. Father, it is so tempting to first try everything that you have and then to ask all the people around you and then go to the professionals to try to fix the problems that you're facing. So often you're the very last one that we turn to. May it not be so with us. Father, as we remember that you are our shepherd, as we remember that we are the sheep, may we walk out of here today with joyful dependence, with a weight lifted off of our back where our expectations for ourselves being our own saviors is lifted. And the weight that comes with that, because we can never fulfill that role, Father, that is your role. May that be lifted off us right now. And may we walk out of here today in joyful dependence, knowing that when the circumstances seem out of control from us, you are still in control. That when we have nothing to offer, you still do. When our strength is done, yours is forevermore. When we lack grace, when we lack um, hope, when we lack wisdom, Father, your grace covers us. Father, may we walk out of here today with joyful dependence on you. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.